you would be opening your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1, and we'll be reading there in just a moment. Philippians chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, Paul writes, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. For your fellowship in the Gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This morning I want us to consider Paul's prayer for the saints in Christ Jesus in Philippi that we just read there in verses 9-11. through 11. A prayer that we could say is a prayer he would have for any saints anywhere. And that is that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. He wants that their love be growing and ever increasing. Love of God and Christ. Love of brethren and love of fellow men. And that, of course, requires a love of the truth. A love of the truth is necessary. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 13, Paul writes there to the church in Thessalonica, and he says, For this reason we thank God without ceasing, because when you receive the Word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. The picture of the, those in Thessalonica were, was that they were loving the truth. They loved to hear the truth. Paul writes later in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verses 10-12 through 12, that some do not love the truth. Not all love the truth. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. There are people who do not love the truth and as a result, they cannot be saved. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 10. Paul desires that their love and your love and mine may abound still more and more in all knowledge and discernment. That's love that's according to truth. It's fashioned according to the truth, to the Word of God. Love must be under the influence of truth, not some kind of excitement or sentimental emotion. Love needs to be according to knowledge and discernment, good judgment. And that is based upon truth. Love. We are concerned with what is worthy of our affections and our devotion in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 2 in the King James Version. Paul writes, set your affections, that's your desires, the things that you, we might say very loosely, love, 
Set your affection on things above and not on the earth. When Paul says that your love should grow more and more in knowledge and all discernment, he wants us to grow in our love for God and man and our brethren. And it needs to be based on what the Bible says is love. Love according to truth. That is, in knowledge and all discernment. But he goes on and he says that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and in all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent. He gives a reason now why our love should grow more and more in knowledge and all discernment. And that is so that you may approve the things that are excellent. Distinguish between the things that differ is the American Standard Version. It is true that we need to prove all things and know what is true and genuine. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 21. Test all things. Uh, prove all things. Hold fast to that which is good. But here he says, approve the things that are excellent. Accept as proven. Approve. Accept them as proven. Things that are excellent. Things that are excellent are those things that excel in value and stand out from the average or from the common. <coughs> when you think about assignments that you turned in in school, did you ever get one back graded that had maybe an E on it for excellent? Or maybe the teacher wrote out excellent. It's because this paper excelled in some way. Maybe a citizen of the community is awarded some medal for his good citizenship. Well, aren't we all citizens of this community? But his outstanding service is recognized because his service excels. This is what the Lord wants us to be in His kingdom. He wants us to be excelling. He wants us to approve the things that are excellent. Go beyond just the average or the common. And of course, that's predicated upon us first having a disdain and hate and detesting all that is not pure and holy. Psalm 119 and verse 104. Psalm 119 and verse 104 that you're, through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Really, we have, we might think of kind of a continuum here. You might think of things that you, we need to hate. We need to hate that which is evil and awful and bad and wrong. And then someone says, well, I do hate all that stuff, but I'm just kind of in neutral about other things. No, you've got to go beyond neutral. And you've got to go beyond things that are just okay. He wants you to go to things that are good, things that are better, and things that are excellent value. We'll make application in a moment here. But He wants us to be able to distinguish the things that are excellent. Things that excel. Be discerning about that. Here's some excellent things. Of course, the knowledge of Christ is described in this letter as excellent. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 8, but indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Of all the things that you've ever learned in life, what is the most excellent? 
the knowledge of Jesus Christ and what He has done for us and how much He has loved us to save us from our sins, who He was and how He was and His example to us and what we ought to be and what we want to be like, the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Wisdom from above is described as excellent in Daniel chapter 5 and verse 14. A godly spirit that is an excellent attitude is described, Daniel chapter 5 and verse 12, as excellent. That's the word, excellent. An excellent spirit. When Paul writes to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 12 and 31, he says, but earnestly desire the greater gifts, the best gifts. He says, and yet I show you a more excellent way. And what is that? 1 Corinthians 13, we'll read it in a moment. He wants us to approve the things that are excellent. Go on to things that excel. But He gives another reason that our love may still abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Not only because, or so that, you may, be, uh, you may approve the things that are excellent, but also He says that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Here's another good reason to grow in love according to knowledge and all discernment. To be sincere is to be true and pure before God. Without offense, we can be in offense against God when we sin against Him. That's offense against God. But there's also offense against men. We can offend others. Someone says, well, you didn't speak to me when you walked by and you offended me. That's not what this word's about. That's pretty trite. Get over it, right? Believe the best about your friend or whoever it was that did this to you. Offense is causing one to stumble or to sin. To sin against another. In Acts chapter 24 and verse 16. In Acts 24 and verse 16. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and men. Paul was concerned about not offending men. And that didn't mean he was afraid to preach the truth that would make them feel bad. That means he was afraid of sinning against them and leading them into sin and causing them to sin. Our love is to abound more and more in all knowledge and discernment that we may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. That means we have a view toward. We have a view toward that day when Christ will come in judgment and reward the faithful and punish the evildoer. We have that in mind. That we want to be found sincere and without offense on that day. This is about our eternity then, isn't it? This is not just a good to know. Do this if you want. This is about my eternity. That your love may abound still more and more knowledge and all discernment. And He gave two reasons. But then He gave a desirable result that would come from that. In verse 10 or verse 11, He says, "...being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are of Jesus Christ." Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are Jesus Christ. 
I want your love to abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment so that you may prove the things that are excellent, so that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. With what result? With this wonderful result that you'll be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. What are fruits of righteousness? The psalmist said in 119 and verse 172, My tongue shall speak of your word, for all your commandments are righteousness. Are God's commandments righteousness to you? Righteousness. Let no man deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Someone says, oh, I'm a righteous person. Well, there is a righteousness that we have because we've been saved from our sins and God's declared us righteous. But John speaks here of a righteousness which is practicing righteousness. And so being filled with the fruits of that. And we'll look at that in a moment when we make application. But being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. These are in and through Him. Do you remember back in John chapter 15 and verses 4 and 5? Jesus in speaking to His chosen apostles, He said, Abide in Me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in Me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in Me and I in him bears much fruit. For without Me you can do nothing. Abiding in Jesus is having a continuing relationship through Him and abiding in His Word, we learn. And in Him, then, we can have fruits of righteousness. And Paul says that here. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. But here is the grand purpose. Paul said, your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the purpose. Oh, I know well, the purpose is so I can be found right with God in the end. Yes, I understand that. But do you understand our greatest purpose the greatest purpose you have and I have is to glorify God. That's why I am here. That's why you are here. That's why we've been saved. We've been saved and we're here to give homage and glory and adoration to God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 31, Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. In 1 Peter 4 and 11, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it with the ability which God supplies, that in all things God may be glorified in Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, He said, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's the end. That they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. Let's circle back through these and make some application. He wants us to have love abounding in knowledge and in all discernment. What is love? Love's been defined as acting in the best interest of another, active goodwill toward another, 
seeking the greatest good for another. He wants us to love in knowledge and all discernment. That's according to truth. According to truth. In John 17 and 17, Thy word is truth. Sanctify them through Thy word. Thy word is truth. Proverbs 23 and 23 says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. Love according to truth. Loving God according to truth. What is that? Well, in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 5, in 1 John 2 and 5, whoever keeps His Word, this, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you love Me, keep My commandments, Jesus said. John 14 and 15. In Psalm 97 and 10, here's a call to action. You who love the Lord, hate evil. We need to love to hate. We need to love to hate. That's love too. To hate the right things. Love not. Uh, love is not, of course, permissiveness or just overlooking sin. Love is acting in the best interest of another. Love, for example, restores a brother who's lost. Well, love abounding in knowledge and all discernment. Not only loving according to truth, loving God and Christ, loving our brethren. In Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 1, let brotherly love continue. So you're already doing it, but don't stop. Let brotherly love continue. What would that love look like? I know there is a, a love that means the love of, of a family and there's different loves, but let's read this love, uh, the love spoken of in 1 Corinthians 13. Because it's the love joined upon those in Corinth as well as you and I. 1 Corinthians 13 and verses 4 through 6. Love suffers long and is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Here's a description of love. Here are the things that love would demonstrate if I have love. Paul says, I want your love to abound in knowledge and all discernment. Says, someone says, well, I love my brother. And then he goes to this. He says, well, well, this is, well that's not how I behave toward my brother. Then do you love your brother? Love him in knowledge and all discernment according to truth. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 13. In Galatians 5 and 13, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. We learn that love serves. Love serves. 1 John chapter 4 and verses 20 and 21. 1 John 4, 20 and 21. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he's not seen? And this is the commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Love. First Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 and 9. Finally, brethren, 
All of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another, love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. That means if a brother reviles me, then I do not revile in return. Translated that way, right? If a brother does evil toward me, I don't return evil toward him. In fact, he says to the contrary, blessing. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. He had already given in chapter 2 the example of Jesus Christ, who did just that. And to that we've been called. Here's love that abounds in knowledge and all discernment. Think about husbands toward wives. I mean, you could go everywhere with this. Does the Bible say anything about husbands toward their wives? Husband, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for it. I wonder what that means. I mean, I need to go out and sacrifice myself somewhere on a tree or on some... I need to be self-sacrificing and serving toward my wife. Oh, I love my wife. Well, would you sacrifice for her? Would you lead her spiritually? That's love. Growing in love. In knowledge and all discernment. Parents toward children. Oh, I love my children. But will I teach them the truth? Ephesians chapter 6 and 4. Fathers, bring up your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Don't provoke your children to wrath. These things. I'm given instruction. Is that love? Is that acting in their best interest? It sure is. Knowledge, love according to knowledge and discernment. Love in all knowledge and discernment. Children and grandchildren. Toward parents and grandparents. You know, they're our social security, so to speak, aren't they? 1 Timothy 5 and 4, let them learn to show piety at home and requite, repay their parents. <clears throat> and so here, when we think about love abounding and knowledge and all discernment, these are not just words, this is something I need to put into action. Loving, love abounding in knowledge and all discernment. Loving intelligently according to truth. But what else? that your love may abound in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent. This was a reason He gave for your love abounding, that you may approve the things that are excellent. This statement here encourages growth in knowledge and wisdom, that you may approve the things that are excellent. It puts forth a goal for us to stretch forward to, that we want to excel toward Knowledge and wisdom. In Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9, in Colossians 1 and 9, for this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. There's a reaching forward to the things that are excellent. Such a statement that you may approve the things that are excellent encourages Self-sacrifice. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verses 1 and 2, Paul wrote, Moreover, brethren, we, want, we make known to you the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. Then a great trial of affliction 
the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded in the riches of their liberality. Well, hang on just a second. Here's some people who are in affliction and all of this, and yet they gave so liberally that Paul, if you want to say, bragged about them in our words. But he spoke about them and what they did. Did they have to do that? But what is this? That you may approve the things that are excellent. Is that excelling? That's excelling, isn't it? That's excelling before the Lord. That you may approve the things that are excellent tells us that we want to excel. We want to excel for the Lord. We're interested in excellence for Him. In chapter 12 and verse 15, Paul said, And I will very gladly spend and be spent for your souls, though the more abundantly I love you, the less I am loved. Who would do that? Paul did, he said. That's excellence. That you may approve the things that are excellence causes us to examine not only whether a thing is right or wrong, but whether it's best. Whether it's best for us or others. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. Paul said, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Here's two questions to ask. If I have a liberty that is something that is lawful for me to do, is the exercise of this liberty advantageous or helpful to me? Is it advantageous or helpful to me spiritually? Not just is it neutral, is it helpful? Is that a good question to ask? Paul, Paul puts it here. Is it helpful or advantageous to my brother? Or will it destroy my brother? Here's another question from verse 12. Will I become a slave to this liberty? He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Will I or have I become a slave to this liberty? It's lawful that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's what, this, that's what the Lord wants us to do. Distinguish the things that differ. This encourages us to excel. To excel in speech, for example. Take Ephesians chapter 4 and verses 25-32. Therefore, putting away lying, each one speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Okay. I hate, I hate lying. That's a start. And I'm going to speak truth. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down in your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication pursue out of your, proceed out of your mouth. Okay, that's what I'm not going to do. I hate it. But he didn't stop there. He says, but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers? 
You see that our living as a Christian is not just about what not to be, but to excel for the Lord and choose that which is excellence and what, what would be great and good. That's what the Lord wants us to be doing. Verse 31, same idea. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Okay, I hate those things. But continue on. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. He wants to excel in that. Really, I, I think about this statement that you may prove the things that are excellent. It eliminates bad attitudes. <laughs> Where does it say not to? You have someone talking about something that is questionable at best, morally. Well, where does it say not to? Where does it say not to? Never asking the question, what can I do to excel for the Lord here? <laughs> or, you've heard this before, do I have to? You know, we hear that from children. Do I have to? Could be said regarding Wednesday night Bible study. In some places, I know we're all here, but you go some places not that way. And an answer you might get from someone, why don't, well, do I have to? I mean, that's really, I mean, I know we're supposed to assemble the first day of the week, partake the Lord's Supper, but do I have to come every time the church is having a Bible study? Brother, that is not the attitude. That's totally opposite of what Paul is saying we ought to be. He says that you may approve the things that are excellent. That's a country by all the way. Apathy, uh, apathy and indifference. The attitudes of apathy and indifference. Well, whatever, it doesn't matter. That doesn't work as a Christian. About our spiritual growth, that you may approve the things that are excellent. But let's go on to this one. That you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. We want our love to grow I want, you want, we want our love to grow in knowledge and all discernment so we approve the things that are excellent so that we may be sincere and without offense in the day of Christ. This encourages us to keep our motives pure. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart and sincere faith, pure conscience, 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 5, pure motives. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of it Springs the issues of life. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Matthew 5 8. That you may be sincere. This is without uh, hypocrisy. Pure. The really the pure thing. Encourage us, us, encourages us to genuinely love our brethren. To be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1. And verses 22 and 23. Peter wrote, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirited, sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible, through the Word of God, which lives and abides forever. Love one another fervently with a pure heart. That's like this, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This encourages us along this line. Causes us to consider our example and our influence on others too. 
that we may be sincere without offense. We would not want to lead another one to sin, would we? And so, Paul writes in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 12, 1 Timothy 4 and 12, Let no one despise your youth, but be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity. Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of the hands of the presbytery. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be ever fell. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them, for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. That's considering your example and your teaching, not only for your own good, but for the good of others. Be an example to the flock. And so when we're sincere without offense toward another brother, I don't want to be an offense towards you. Lead you to sin. Cause you to sin. Then I'm concerned with my example and my influence. And of course my behavior. And here Timothy's being told to guard that. And again, this eliminates bad attitudes. Someone just says, well that's your problem. No. No. It's not, you know, if I can help you, you know, we try to help one another. We want to be sincere without offense. We're trying to help our brethren. Without offense, causing another to sin, not being contentious towards brethren and bitter and resentful. This is offense. This is not being sincere and without offense toward God. And then we have this, the result that we want, and that is that our lives would be filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. Again, encouraging us to excel by putting on the fruits of righteousness. In Galatians chapter 5 and verses 22 to 23, Paul said, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. This is the aim. Being filled with that. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ. And this statement again encourages us to be busy. To be busy in good works. Where God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should live in them. Good works. This encourages us to be filled with those kind of things. And finally, again he said, to the glory and praise of God. This reminds us of the grand purpose for which we have been put on this earth. In John chapter 15 and verse 8, in John 15 and 8, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you'll be my disciples. What does that matter? By this my Father is glorified. We're here to glorify God. 
And Paul ends with that as a grand purpose. And so again, the exhortation here, the prayer of Paul, which is an exhortation too, is it this. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Will you make this your aim this morning? If you're not a child of God, won't you become one? Believing the Gospel, will you repent of your sins and confess Jesus as Lord in Christ and the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins? Receiving the gift of salvation, then will you live faithfully unto death? Won't you do that? And if you're a child of God and not living right, will you make it right with the Lord? And we encourage that as we stand and sing a song of encouragement.